Hello, everybody. Welcome back. I am so excited to have my next guest on the show, Vicki Hickson. Vicki has been in law enforcement in Arizona for over 25 years and has also managed first responder peer support programs since 2013. Now, Vicki is one of the most passionate persons I have ever met, and she's very passionate about assisting public safety agencies in creating comprehensive wellness programs and supporting first responders and their families. As the owner of Critical Incident Consulting, she provides customized solutions, training, employee care plans, and creative wellness programs to agencies nationally, while recognizing the needs of both the employees and the agencies. Very well needed in this time we live in. She is also a co-creator and co-host of the Ride Along Chronicles podcast, which I was humbled and grateful to be on. Pull up a chair, take some notes, the one and only Vicki Hickson, next on the CJ Evolution Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Patrick here. Thank you for tuning in to the Top Rank CJ Evolution Podcast. Top Rank because of you, the listener and supporter. If you are a new listener, welcome. Welcome. We know you're going to love the content and the guests. Thank you for tuning in. Longtime listener, welcome back. Thank you so much for your support over the years. If you would do me a favor and head over to Apple Podcasts and give us that five-star rating and review, we sure would appreciate it. And special thanks to you, the criminal justice professional. Maybe you're a cop on patrol. Maybe you're a deputy. Maybe you work in corrections, dispatchers, whatever it is. Thank you for doing it. Very difficult times, but you are strong and you can handle anything. But you remember, you got to take care of yourself first before you can be better for everybody else. Thank you so much. God bless. Watch each other's backs. And most of all, come home safe. It's a new year, folks. I know you know that. But if you are suffering right now with addiction, mental health challenges, what are you going to do to make it better? Because see, it's all in your hands. You just have to take that first step so you can get better for you, most importantly, and everybody else. Reach out to Shatterproof for first responders today. My friends at FHE Health and Shatterproof will take care of you, and we'll do our best to get you back on the right track. This is what we do, and we've been doing it for a very long time. This is why FHE Health and their Shatterproof program for first responders is the number one behavioral health facility in the nation. Reach out today. 303-960-9819. All calls are confidential. Let's get you the help you need and deserve today. What makes Shatterproof a very unique program is it's one of the only programs in the country that first responders can go to that is 100% all first responders. Everybody's in pretty bad shape when they get here. And then 30 days later, when you can see the transformation and the difference in people when they've had 30 days uh, of counseling, working with therapists, working with a psychiatrist, getting the neuro treatment, doing the breath therapy that's done here. The transformation that happens with the clients is really humbling to be able to work around and see because people are getting better here. And it just shows that there's a need for the first responder community to deal with behavioral health issues and take them seriously and offer treatment to people that may need help out there. They should be afforded the ability to come get help when they need help. It has gotten better, but we still have a long way to go. Hello, everybody. I am so excited to have my next guest on the show. I met this uh, woman uh, not too long ago, Vicki Hickson, and she is amazing. She is a veteran of law enforcement, about 25 years, and she worked in various capacities. She's currently a criminal investigator, but she's also a consultant on the side. Uh, her business is peer support, helping organizations build peer support teams and wellness teams. And I am so blessed uh, to have her on the show. She actually has a podcast, which we're going to talk about. And I was blessed to be on. Vicki Hickson, welcome. Thank you for having me. Well, for those people who don't know who you are, and I'm sure a lot do, but tell us a little bit about your law enforcement background. You've done a lot. You've been in the field for a long time. Kind of dive into that. So I came out here and I became a cop in 1997 with the Mesa Police Department, which is a larger metropolitan mm -hmm. 
city here in, in the Phoenix area. And, um, you know, I did patrol. I got married and I did not get married to somebody that I worked with. <laughs> we, we came here together, actually, because we met in college and we were both pursuing that career. Um, and Mesa at the time was recruiting nationwide. Yeah. And they were like doing a 10 day. So we came out here, we tested, we got hired, um, became a mom pretty quick, uh, pretty much the same time I finished field training, I became a mom. Um, and kind of got to do some really cool things early in my career. I was a, most of my career, I was a major crimes investigator, wow. like violent crimes and yeah. um, detective stuff, investigations uh, in different forms. Um, and then right around 2002, I also became part of the peer support team for Mesa. And I didn't know I was young. So my biggest thing was helping first responders, specifically police officers after a critical incident. Um, but I was pretty invested quick on because I realized this was something that not everybody had. Yeah. And so got to really enjoy the first 15 years of my life. I bounced around in some different uh, positions as a detective. And then in 2013, I had the opportunity to test to be a full-time peer support and wellness coordinator for Mesa PD. And so those last six years of my career, I, I retired from Mesa PD after 21 years. And then I went on to a different police agency in a different retirement system, um, which I work in there now. But in those six years, that laid the foundation for me yeah. for what I'm doing today. I actually had the privilege. It wasn't even a chore. It was a privilege mm -hmm. to be able to not only have support from my agency, but also the funding, but also the manpower that was given to me to say, okay, we already had a pretty good foundation. We had a very basic CISM team, you know, going out of responses, some referrals and resources. And then they said, go wherever you want. And the need just came, you know, from one, yeah, absolutely. you know, pretty soon, the minute you tell people, here we are, we've got all this, what happens? They come and now you have to be ready. Yeah, absolutely. You, know, you have to have those. So I started basically collaborating with fire peer support coordinators and my colleagues on the PD side and starting to travel around the state during my reign there and finding out, you know, the nuances between each agency, how peer support can still be the same and look differently. And we could be from two different agencies and still work together and still help each other. And then I got to do the coolest thing, which I never thought I would have in my um, call index, which is. I got to know some clinicians, like mental health providers yeah. all over the state and really understood mental health and how treatment centers work and how, you know, the things that they need, their laws that protect them. And as, as far as us, we started collaborating and we started bringing them on to train them and sharing amongst, you know, the state, all of these resources. And so by the time I retired in 2018, I knew that this was still missing in so many places. Yeah. So that's yeah. when I built my um my department my, my LLC, Critical Consulting, specifically because the one thing that is unique that I, I guess I just didn't even realize I had to do was I had to figure out as an officer, because I never really promoted beyond a detective, that there's all these things that happen in the background, right? You Absolutely. as a commander probably know all these things that moving parts. And so I had to learn not only laws and, you know, health codes and insurance information and light duty and, you know, kind of um, discipline issues. And the Tiger Act and all that stuff. All of that, right. Um, so I became an advocate more than, you know, peer support has changed. It became an advocacy, but I could see both sides having been given the opportunity at Mesa yeah. and now coming in. So I could bring both sides of the table together and say, okay, you could still start here. And so I've been able to do that now for the last couple of years. And it's been a privilege, but at the same time challenging because you see that as long as, even though we're ahead in some areas, there are still so many steps well, and so it, many pieces. It's constant work. It yes. is constant work. And I was so grateful for you. I was, for the listener out there, uh, Vicki invited me to a quarterly meeting. I think it was in the fourth quarter of last year, or third this, quarter. Mm -hmm, uh, and to, to your point, Vicki, what we're seeing is, you know, traditionally law enforcement has been in their silo and fire department in their silo. Yep. And it was a collaboration that Vicki invited me to were just clinicians from fire, you know, EMS, you know, police, because we have to work together with this. We have to come together and you know put put a you know 
put aside competition and all that stuff for the, for the welfare of the agency. So that was amazing. I got to meet so many wonderful people thanks to you. So yeah, you don't even think about people like adult probation, victim service people. Or corrections. Yes. Corrections, child investigators, like things, dispatchers, like you don't realize until you start looking and you start having a safe place where somebody can reach out that you're getting more interest from other places that didn't have that. And what was unique about, you know, our state board, you know, it's been there for a long time. And one of our original, uh, some of our original folks from our state agency are still part of the team on the Mm -hmm. state board, but we decided to bring everybody together. And we have these quarterly meetings specifically because we bring topics to the table that are happening today, not years ago. It doesn't really change how you peer, but it changes how you see the person in front of you and the, the, the level of care and the level of resources that they need. And so we keep advancing because we have to. And I think globally that's happening because wellness teams now and peer support teams are being pushed on because of state law or because of just the the way the world has changed saying we need to take care of each other. But the foundation is so different in every agency, um, every state. It's the culture. It's the culture. It's totally. But what's changing is wellness is not going away. Chiefs are now being mandated to go. So now it's like, okay, how do we take that buy-in, whether forced or whether true, and we can help these agencies, both Fire and PD and all the other first responder agencies, really build something that could grow and just also teach their team, you know, that it's not just by the book. You know, you have to have the basic foundation, but you have to actually be somebody who wants to be in peer support. You know, who has the buy-in, uh, who has the empathy, the want, the desire to help somebody. Why do you think it's so hard for some agencies? I, th- I think you, you and I know that, I mean, some agencies are better with with helping, you know, internally their, their personnel than others. Why do you think, I mean, I understand cultures are different and stuff like that. Sure. Why do you, some agencies just, you know, fly by the seat of their pants and they don't have really anything in place? We're going to talk about what you do again, specifically about building peer support teams in a minute, but why do you think there's such a, is it resistance or is it just unable to change or we've always done it this way? You've been a cop for a long time, Vicki. I mean, what do you think of the reason is? I have, and I want to, I want to I, I say it's fear Yeah. and fear because we never talked about feelings, right? We could talk about tactical stuff every day. We can talk about, you know, operational things, but because this was always such a taboo kind of behind the scenes for years, peer support was behind the scenes. You know, like even the ones that helped, you never really saw them unless there was a line of duty death or like a major officer involved shooting. You'll, somebody will say, oh, where's peer support? But all the other stuff that we were doing behind the scenes, it was dependent on who was in leadership at the time, who was running their peer support team. And now that it's been pushed to the forefront, the topic of talking about brain injuries and mental health mm-hmm. is still, in my opinion, very new and makes a lot of people very uncomfortable. And a lot of supervisors and administrators don't know where to go with it. So it's easier to just kind of, let's just figure it out instead of dive right in. But, and but the ones that, oh, it's terrible. But it's so, it's such, you know, and, and I've talked about this, you know this, Vicki. I mean, people aren't flocking to law enforcement anymore. And, you know, we have our normal attrition rates, mm-hmm. as you know, people leaving, retiring, whatever, getting fired for whatever reason. But you don't have to be in a critical incident to to suffer from PTSD. You don't have oh, to be no. in a shooting. I mean, people that are just out on the street, you know, officers that are under tremendous stress, they could be suffering. So Absolutely. I just don't understand why some agencies, I mean, you explained it very well, but that aren't taking a more proactive approach because you're right. This is not going away. If, if anything, it's getting worse. It is. And it's not changing because the new generation of cops that are coming in specifically, or even firefighters, all of them they are way more aware and comfortable about their feelings Absolutely. than we ever were. That whole pull up your bootstraps and go or don't let them see you sweat kind of stuff and hide it is no longer the way to go. So now they're actually coming forward. They're actually even the, for some personal things, right? This, personal. Yeah. Yes, they're saying I'm going through a divorce and I'm really just, I can't focus. What could you do for me? And whether it's to their supervisor or if they have a team and now they're left to go, oh, what do we do with that? Isn't that really personal? You know, we don't get into people's private lives, but in reality, this is what I tell any department when I come and speak. If you have a peer support team, you need to know up front 
that 30% of the workload for that team is critical incident response. Mm-hmm. And most of that has been around for a long time. You know, a lot of it is governed by ICICF, and which is the kind of the national standards for that. And, you know, there's just like there's protocols for, you know, uh, peace standards at each state. There's one for responding to that as well as for peer support and investigations. But what there's not is the 70% that is the one-on-one contact that your team makes daily with people for everyday things from marriage issues to child issues, to anxiety, Mm -hmm. to family deaths, you know, to, I don't like my boss and it's causing me so much stress to go to work to, I've just had this really bad call. And even though it's not a shooting, I don't want to tell anyone because that's, we do those every day. And so I start with that. I said, so if you want to know what's going on in your department and what your employees need, you need to know what that 70% Absolutely. Is, is happening. And so um, one of the biggest reasons why I decided to focus, you know, not to, to do to do the day to day, because it can get really burnt out, you know, doing it for several years, the one on one with working with actual. Well, you're taking on. Oh, my gosh. That, you know, yes. all that on yourself. It was. And I knew I couldn't really continue doing that. I mean, I'll do it for my department and obviously colleagues that call, but focusing instead on trying to change the culture from the department within, you know, because we have resources that we could share. And we have, you know, we vet treatment facilities as a group now. You know, here in Arizona, I will say this. The one thing about peer support is we have no egos because we're all in it because we want to be in it. And we all know that we some agencies do things better than others. So we try to use that collectively. Absolutely. Where yes. in a lot of, yeah, think about it. In a lot of agencies that have like part-time SWAT teams where they support other agencies for like, um, you know, when there's internal affairs or where there's other major crimes like riot control and all that. They they still go well, you know. We you know we go in and we take care of this with peer support. We don't do that, and yeah. so one of the and we can get real um, and share. But I will say that I'm hoping, I'm hoping there's a lot of states that are going to some kind of state law, good or bad, whether or not it was you know intended the way it was written when it finally gets published. At the end of the day, it's still putting ownership on the chiefs. And the cities, you know, that employ first responder agencies to say, you've got to put something together. So my goal really has been to try to instead say, these are like areas of peer support to build your team that you need. And you can grow the rest or you can partner, you know, as you go. But if you don't have these core kind of functions, um, you're not going to be able to sustain it. And you're not going to get that trust and that buy-in that you need from the employees absolutely uh, and, to move forward. And the one so, thing I want to talk about the, the building that and what it looks like. But first, it, the one thing I really love about Arizona is we have the we have the Tiger Act down here. Can you can yes. you talk about that? Sure. And, and it was spawned from a horrible incident that you know we don't have. To, but we, I love it officer. because some states yeah. don't have that. A lot of states, in, in my opinion, don't have that. They don't. I think a lot of them are going to some type, but ours, unfortunately, an officer basically had to take his own life because he was yeah. trying to ask for help and they just didn't have the understanding and the uh, built-in system to kind of recognize that, okay, this is serious, you know? Um, and so unfortunately when he, when he took his life, the state came together and said, okay, we need to have a better system. Isn't and unfortunately it, that's how it happens in police. Yeah. It's like totally, to re, it's totally reactive, not proactive very, at all, Very, but that's just the nature of the business. It is. And so this act came in, it was published in 2018, and it basically puts ownership on each employer that says that if you have a sworn officer or firefighter that experiences a a traumatic event that fits one of these criteria, you know, like dangerous crimes against children, line of duty, injury, or death, you know, prolonged um, instances where there is a loss. So there's six different criteria. They are eligible to get up to 36 Hours counseling yeah. appointments or, or counseling at, appointments, yeah, right, with the counselor of their choice paid for by their agency, and they can actually do it on duty, they can choose to do it off duty. Um, and it allows them to have that ability without being marked or without being labeled, you know, or, or having to jump through hoops. Um, it's just, hey, I was in this program, I mean, I was in this incident that I think, um, and, it, and it, it, the program does allow for, you know, like going back to some of these, you know, you have triggering events, but you have, we all have cumulative stuff. You can go back for years, but it's really about, okay, what kind of, what's happening right now? What recently happened that's just kind of putting all this together is 
Tipping and it, it, does it have to be work related specifically, Vicky, or can it be yeah, like it has to be okay, work related? It has to be work related, okay. be work -related because. What they did do is put a reporting part on that. So okay. the way that they're putting ownership is that every year, September 1st, every employer that has a first responder agency, um, in case sworn firefighters and police officers, have to submit to the state administration of Arizona a report that says how many sworn members have participated in the program, how many of them, what's the average amount of visits, how many of them uh, actually went back to work, how many of them did it on duty, did any of them file workers comp? Did any of them have to take any time loss from work? And so it really forced, like I was saying, like in other ways, agencies to at least at the, well, here's what happens now. They're forced to put a program. Yes. But if you don't have a program, if you don't have the people in place to reach out to that person, right? When they have that issue that says, okay, I've had this critical and I think I do, it does um, meet the Craig Tiger and I'm, I have this eligibility for this these free visits. If you don't have a team that not only understands it, but can walk that person through that journey and then check on them, um, it's not gonna do anything. It's gonna get forgotten. It's not gonna get used. It's not gonna get built to where people can actually, it's meant to be a preventative program. It's yeah. meant to be while you're you know back to work, Let's get you some appointments. Let's clear out some of this trauma. Let's get some of this, you know, uh, out of your frontal cortex and into the bank bank, you know, process it correctly and move forward. So yep. easy. Um, and so, and because of that though, um, a lot of first responder clinicians here in Arizona have come forward wanting to work with this population. But we realize that the downside of that is that we don't really, they're not vetted, right? We don't yep. know who they are. We have a core vetted. So what we had to do as a board and say, okay, if we find a new resource, we're going to vet it. We're going to, you know, meet with them. We're going to kind of make sure they understand. And then we'll put it out as a referral. And that allows other agencies, though, to also go out and build their own. But so at least we can get a network of clinicians that can go under Craig Tiger because it is paid for by the agency, but could also take insurance and could also. So if they do believe in them, they can always go back for non-work related issues under their insurance or under their EAP or under their, you mm -hmm. know, out of pocket and continue. And so it destigmatizes the fact that therapy is okay. I'm not weak. I, they're not going to fire me because I'm going to therapy. So I will say the one thing the program did do is by forcing agencies to have it there and then allowing employees the opportunity to get there, yeah. it is it is making it to where some of the misconception that, oh my God, if they find out I'm on medication, or that I'm going to therapy, they're going to yank me out of the specialty position, or they're going to take me off, you know, these, these projects, it's destigmatizing some of that and normalizing the fact that, yeah, yeah it's here for you. Well, that's so I, I'm excited. It's huge. It's it huge. Is huge. And I, and I know in, in Colorado, where I came from, they didn't, they didn't have anything like that. And now it's, it's not the, the, the end all be all, but it's a start that, it's, you know, the start. tiger, I mean, it's a start and that's unfortunate that it has to spawn, like we were talking about, from some horrible incident involving a, right. a sworn officer. But you go in, I call you up, because you're an expert at this, Vicki. I call you up, and I'm, I'm part of a department here in Arizona, and I say, Vicki, I want you I want you to come in and, and help our organization build a wellness team, build a peer support team. And as I mentioned, you were amazing when I saw you kind of present this segment at a quarterly meeting uh, last year can you can you go into that and what are the critical well, it's all critical components sure. but what are the must-haves for so, a wellness team well and so that's interesting that you say that because for a long time people thought wellness was a piece of peer support right mm -hmm. so you have cism and then and now wellness and peer support are getting intermingled mm -hmm. and i will i will say instead that you need to really have a peer support team that has a strong wellness, wellness component, component. Okay. which is all of your supplement right you're having your work uh, your family your, your retirees, compassion dogs, resource networks, having, you know, um, treatment facilities and clinicians on board in that network where you're doing outreach, you know, with different community resources that really cater to first responders and allowing for that wellness, you know, even physical, you know, understanding why physical therapy for pain management is alternative. So really digging into that is the new, that is completely new in the last five years that's grown. Mm -hmm. But in its core, you know, if I were to come in, obviously I assess an agency for what they have, what they don't have. And, you know, you have to look at size and all that. Yeah. But so you go in and you train, they get trained, you know, you pick, they pick their team and they really, the department really has to, the, one of the big caveats besides buy-in is always my first one. What is the buy-in here? 
If you're bringing me here, that's a good sign. Or if you're investing um, employees- Because they want it here. If they're yes. bringing you here, they want it Yes, here. yes. Or if they're choosing employees to actually say, go out and find out best practices, awesome start. But in the end, you've got to pick members from your team, including the coordinator that are compassionate, that have of all different ranks is good from different parts of the department as far as specialties and um, years on and experience. But you need to have some traits like empathetic. They need to want to be super confidential. They have to have good reputations within the department as being maybe somebody that's easily go to. And they have to select them because when you go out and deal with people's personal lives, the is confidentiality. Mm -hmm. So you have to dig confidentiality, not only to the team, but that you, you get one person, all it takes is one person to kind of be found gossiping, yeah. even though they're not. Now, do you find it hard really quick? I hate to interrupt sure, you, but no, I no, want to no. lose it's, this thought. Do, no. do you find it hard or do you see, because again, you're an expert in this. Do, do you find it difficult with some agencies internally if I'm an internal officer to stay internal and go to my peer support team because I don't want everybody to know everything? You know what I mean? It's so it's I've seen it both ways. I will say this in a large agency, it's not as common because there's enough people that don't know no people buffer, yeah, right, yeah. that they can kind of meet. But for smaller agencies, it's almost integral to have partnering agencies because you're gonna have folks that don't want anybody in their agency to know. And there's certain topics, you know, there's certain um traumas or or dramas, as I call them, in their life that don't want to come to work. So for example, somebody that's on discipline doesn't really usually want to talk to, they don't trust, no, they don't you know, trust they, the they're, brass. they're feeling betrayed. <laughs> right. So as a peer coordinator, I'm going to assign them, especially for smaller agencies to an outside, you know, that makes sense. Okay. Yes. That makes sense. Um, or somebody relationships, those are can go either way because for somebody to open up, they usually trust the person critical incidents. I'll be honest with you. Those can usually stay in house, but it's the, I'm having a, a few ideations. I'm feeling like I haven't slept in months and I'm feeling very hypervigilant and, and angry and frustrated. And I don't want anybody to know, but I'm not hiding it well anymore. Mm -hmm. So we come across them as peer support. However we get them, they typically, especially if they're drinking or using, you know, a lot of AIDS and, and they have fears of that, they do not want. And sometimes it's not the best thing as a coordinator. That's some of the things that I assess. That's what I'm saying. Right. Putting the right person to run sure. it because I look for things like, you know, how long have they been on? Have they been in shootings? Is that, could that be it? Is there somebody on my team that's better at handling this kind of call? Maybe they have experience. Maybe they're, they've been in the, the same boat before. So you want to have that experience on your team with your members, just so you can put better matches together um, and continuously train them beyond just the basic, but it's almost integral for, I would say an agency, you know, that's under 300 employees total, um, really need to work with a partner agency and swap and have that ability. And like I said, in Arizona, because of the state board that we, you know, expanded and grown and really, really invited all these different people and made all these partnerships, made it comfortable. We have that ability that somebody can literally call anybody on the board and say, I'm working with somebody at this agency, mm -hmm. but they don't want, they don't even trust their coordinator, right? They just came to us. They don't want anybody and we can hook them up with somebody. Yeah. And that's definitely something that we have the right people, the right place to do that. Absolutely. But that but members at each one and the coordinator is huge. Well, I, I like another, what you, Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yes. No, no, no. Go ahead. That's just, no, I, 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 I like what you said about, look, you're not trying to reinvent the wheel. You can check another agency and say, all right, what are, what, what are you using? That's working. Right. Right. You know, people, cops do that all the time. Agencies do yes. that all the time. And that's the, the silly part is when I come in and consult a lot of times, you know, it's the administrative pieces that I help. It's like they have a lot of these components and I go, well, all you have to do is use that call out process for peer or, <laughs> exactly. you know, take these same, right. And so sometimes it's just literally coming in and saying, and we have a lot of those. And so that's been kind of here in, in Arizona, it's been kind of cool to see when we get to do that, because, you know, they put somebody in place. And I will say this in, in a lot of agencies here, and I think statewide, uh, even other states, you know, either somebody says, oh, Vicky seems like a good person. We're going to put her in full time and go figure it out. <laughs> or, hey, we have a small team, right? Yeah. And now we have to do this. Yeah. Or it's, hey, you're a supervisor. Just like figure it out. Well, that's all great if we start with that. But now they're putting somebody in a full-time position sometimes to do this peer support and wellness. And if we can connect that person to somebody else to mentor, 
I love it, it is yeah. amazing how fast they can build their team and grow. Yeah. And then they can work on really the buy-in and the trust and really understanding the flow. Because price, you know, critical and stress management, obviously the call-out part, that's again, that's already in a lot of areas. It's like a regional response, right? So even small agencies, if you tell them, well, how, when you have a shooting, who comes in and, and does that? You already have mutual aids on that. Yeah. So just kind of take that. But internally, um, you know, they have to have the ability to train who they choose beyond just the basic two day, you know, three day ICI. Well, it's certificate. constant. It's constant yes. training. I mean, it never it's like anything else you do in law enforcement. Yes. I mean, it, you have to keep up. There's no end date. There's, no. You have to keep going and going and going and yes. training and training. And now you have to outreach, right? Like internally, yeah. even you have to train your supervisors to understand signs and sy symptoms, right? Yeah. You have to understand that they have some basic resources. And I teach something as simple as, and it's silly, but in one of my trainings is you're the first line supervisor, you know, your people. However, before you ever decide to go have a conversation about your employee, about a behavior that you're seeing that you're worried about, the first thing you have to do is identify what is this meeting about? Yeah, exactly. You're not in trouble. I'm not, and, but something that small, you know, you see a supervisor go, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. But instead, the, the employee sits there worrying, okay, is he going somewhere with this? Like, yeah, is trouble. my behavior going to get me in trouble? Yes. Instead of, I care about you, I've noticed something and I'm worried you're not in trouble. This is a, you know, this is a Vicky Patrick call. This is not a, my boss and you. I'm asked, I want to know how you're doing. It goes a long way. And so empowering your peer support team to be able to go out and promote within that, you know, their own agencies. And Train the supervisors in some of the awareness and some of the prevention is a huge piece of making a successful team. Because not only are they your eyes and ears, but you also have, now you're you're actually having more intervention without realizing it because people are noticing versus, because we're good at hiding. I mean, we're trained manipulators. Oh, geez, as, yes. as you know, like you've told your story <laughs> and, we, and we could go for months. Yeah. By the time some, some folks implode, there's so much going on that it's like, you might not even be able to save their job, forget, you're trying to save their life. So um, I will say that one of the core things that I see is you have to have a mental health advisor okay. on your team, whether it's contract, whether it's consulting, whether it's partnering, because we are no longer just dealing with, hey, um, you know, I had this call and it bothered me. And so these folks are coming forward now because of the way the world changed, because of the, the way the public sometimes perceives us. Now media interest calls, like if you happen to get your something on, on the media that is, and you get all this target as an officer, like, and people are coming to your home, that's another threat level that yeah. now has become, in this day and age, has become a new critical incident to add to the list of like, what can be some that can really cause some significant overwhelming stress to a first responder family. Um, and so that wasn't unheard of before. Like it wasn't something we discussed. So being able to advocate not only for your members, but understand where we are today by networking with all of these different, um, that mental health advisor is the person you call because sometimes our advocacy starts kind of feeling like we're going into counseling mode and clinical mode. And that's one thing that peer support members really have to be aware of because yeah. you can easily think you know. And so being able to call the mental health advisor and say, this is what I've got, no name, this is what I've got. And being guided or being told like, hey, you know what, we need to consider higher level of care, let's try this, is integral because we can't make these decisions on our own. Um, and then continuing to build that network. And honestly, one of the things that nobody thinks about is if we don't also protect our teams, you know, there's, because betrayal trauma is huge. You know, oh, your weird. own team members, sometimes you have to have some self-care, you have to understand mindfulness. Like we are now teaching our peer teams about, you know, um, clinical mental health modalities, like mm -hmm. EMDR, like neurofeedback, like CBT, like what are all these therapies? And now we're also having to teach our members, what is breathing? You know, we might not call it relaxation, we'll call it tactical breathing. Yeah, breath but, work, um, whatever. <laughs> yes, we can't say yoga, we'll say stretching, <laughs> you know, but we've had to, we've had to learn about all these apps and art therapies and all this, because you might be working with somebody that is so overwhelmed that yeah. they but they won't go see therapy, right? You, they don't trust yet. So what is, as a, you're listening, you're supporting them, but now we're no longer just find a referral and say, go to counseling. Now we're referring options, some kind of techniques that might help them, some resiliency skills that we're trying to build. So 
you have to be able to grow your team along the way um, and then bring these people in because there are so many first responder focused wellness um, clinics and you know uh, wellness centers. They're calling them all kinds of things that are really catering to these populations. And sometimes they're cost free no. to the employee. <laughs> yeah. And if they're vetted, but they're coming out. So why not have those options? Yeah. Um, but I think so it's, but I think it's, you have to be careful with, with and I know you do, you, you know, have to vent them, you but because it them. seems like you, you said it, Vicki, everybody and their mother's coming up with first responder wellness now, but vet right. those, vet those organizations, because right. if, as a, you know, this Vicki, as a first responder, if I'm going to go PHP or inpatient, uh, I, I do not want to, and I know this sounds horrible, but it's just me. I, I'll say it. I don't want to be with right. other people. I want to be with first no. responders. And I think that I've talked to people that sometimes they land in treatment and they're with the general population. And, right. then and I will say this, I have seen it work both ways prior to the last three years. I have seen it work both ways, right? Because in Arizona, we do not have first responder only kind of lockdown. We used to have sure. one and, um, but we do have outpatient groups that are first responder only and programs within a facility. And they're really trying, there's some really good ones, but to actually guarantee that who's their roommate is to who is in their oh, group you therapy. To, yeah, you, like, yeah. You, they have to be specific. Yeah. Well, before three years ago, like I said, either one would work. Since all this defunding and all this like community oh, like yeah. outpouring of like, you know, um, it cops are now more paranoid than ever. Absolutely. And now they're worried more than ever. So now it's not only more about can they even really do they need to be with just first responder? Because there's some cops that will they're very cool being with the general public. They believe in the program. They need help. But now it's, am I safe there? Yeah. You know, and so now going, whether it's out of state, whether it's in their own state, but going to facilities that specifically have identified these first responders and they're in their own, you know, they're, they're in the that's corner, huge. you know, whatever. Yeah. Yep. Only. And that's one of the things, like you said about Shatterproof is that by vetting it though, now if I have an officer that not only are they even scared to get into therapy, they don't even understand why they're, so, you know, they've hit rock bottom in general, mentally, yeah. like, why is all this coming to me? Why is this hit happening? I shouldn't. And now I'm trying to say, by the way, you need to get some treatment. And I could say, I'm going to put you in touch with somebody like from this facility. This is what they do. This is kind of how it looks like. And this is the person that will talk to you and you're going to get on a plane. You're going to do this. And this is kind of the first week. Now I'm actually not only building that trust, but I'm making it a little more comfortable for them. And now when they go, the chances of them getting, well, getting the treatment they need and really being open to it is because it's, it's huge. Yeah. Yes. And it may not have nothing to do with the treatment. It has to do with the safety element and the comfort level yeah. that I trust Vicky and Vicky's sending me somewhere that she has vetted and she knows somebody and she's, whether she's toured it, whether another officer has toured it, we, we, we have some validation for them that it's going to be okay. And for me, that's yeah. probably been the biggest change it, as as much as it sucks because of why it got there the positive has been that now instead of trying to get an officer you know where they go once um, they need a higher level of care right they're really in crisis but they only agree to one-on-one -on -one. it will take them two three months to get to where we call it like a stable enough where they're not so acute that they can actually still function in a lot of their other parts of their life mm -hmm. and now we're finding that they're willing to go to you know, treatment, residential facilities, or even 10 day, you know, retreat type for mental health or first responders yeah. where they can, I say, get the buy-in quicker and realize, oh my gosh, yes, this is me. Yes. I need help. And you know, cops, man, you give us a task and we're like, <laughs> yeah. but getting us there is like, yeah, like another, that's another yes. story. So we're actually seeing folks coming back and getting on board with their treatment and self-care things that we should have done years ago where nobody, you know, Absolutely. since the Academy, nobody talked about self-care. Um, and now we're seeing, and they're going to do much better after retirement than some of our yeah. generations. Yeah. So and that's I, been a blessing to see. And I tell people, Vicki, you know, this, that for me, when I went through treatment and you probably heard me say this before, the, the real work begins after treatment. Yeah. You know, I mean, you're getting the treatment and you're, and you're learning all these different things and you're going through all these treatment modalities, which is amazing. But the minute I got on the plane from Fort Lauderdale back to Colorado, I was, I'm in Arizona, but went back to Colorado. Right. I was like, shit. Okay. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where right. everything I've learned. Now it begins. 
Yeah. It's not a, it, it's a, and nope. that's a constant thing. You know that. It Somebody is. And, and I have to tell you, if you don't have somebody for somebody to come home to, and I'm not even talking about family yet. That's a whole nother, but within their department, their biggest fear is the return to work, right? Can I come back? Do I have to break it down because they've done all this work? Maybe they feel like they're not ready yet. Do I, can I take some more time? Having a peer support team member that whether it's from their agency or not, but being able to just, they come back, you know, like they're ready to get into treatment. They've got everything lined up because I know a lot of facilities will set that up. And now they still need the support piece, which peer support, you know, really can do to help them navigate the aftermath, right? Come up with a coordinating care plan for the long-term and Absolutely. see what IOP, other little yeah. things. Yes. And so, um, but I will say this, family has never been, because of all this though, that we were talking about, family has never been as important as it is now. Meaning, because before you only saw families, if there was a line of duty death, I hate to say that, right? Prior to mm -hmm. five years ago, that's the only time. Maybe like at the academy, you know, they would have like an academy um, where they bring the family in for one night um, and maybe do a little training. And then you, unless they were in squads or whatever, you would never... There would never be anything, maybe a wellness day occasionally or family appreciation, but you families had no more access to yeah. what's available. And so we just kind of went along. Well, now because the peer support has changed and has been adding all this wellness initiatives and you have to, it's not because chaplains, like we talked about, like they've been in, in peer support teams and CISM teams for years, but nobody really realized what they did and how they can help in other areas. But families now though, because- now you're having officers that they're coming forward and they have so much trauma and so much anger and so much frustration and, and, you know, maybe using AIDS. And so now you're sending them away and you're getting all this treatment and they're getting this buy-in, whether it's an outpatient or inpatient. But what about the family? Yes. And <laughs> I've had situations where are they still with the family? Because sometimes yeah. the family will say, I'll hold on until you go. Others are like, yeah, bye, you went. And so what are they coming home to is important. But if there is a family component, and they have no idea the work that they did out there where they got treatment. And they still have the same chair that they would, you know, come home after work, the first responder and drink at five o'clock. And now we're trying to break that habit. I come in or, my, or I train, especially with my peer team. If you're working with that family, you ask those questions like, mm. okay, rearrange the room. And at five o'clock, if that was their drinking hour, you know, come home at four or change and, and start drinking and then sleep in the chair for the rest of the night, then that chair goes away. And now what are you doing at five o'clock? Find out what they do. Oh, they work out. Oh, they go to yoga. Oh, they take walks. And you're as a family member need to encourage that. But you are, you are the, they're coming back and you're setting rules together Absolutely. because you're holding that person accountable. But at the same time, the family needs to learn what addiction is, right? Or, oh. or what mental health is. And what does it look like in a first responder? Because it is so different because we mask so many things. Um, and we could do that daily life. Why wouldn't, yeah. how would I at home? So I think for right now, for me, that was always something that I tried in Mesa to like different things from Facebook groups to having wellness days to, you know, trying to send stuff home in the mail, even about all our EAP yeah. and all our local. And I realized it just wasn't working. And yeah. I come out and I'm, I'm visiting all these agencies, right. As consulting. And I realized family is not even in, in the purview. It needs to be that. It needs to, because most of the one thing, there's only two things that really take an officer down. That is seeing another officer die in their presence. And honestly, divorce. Yeah. What with, comes with child issues too. But yeah. those two are the ones that like, you could see the biggest, baddest guy that's just mush. And, but what are also the two things that will get officer to get moving on something and make a decision? Ultimatums from either family, family spouse or work. Yeah, yep. work. Or yeah. Work. And so we use those though, right? As yeah. peer, you can use those to say, so for me, I've really um, you know, even though I can walk in and you know, work with an agency and say, okay, let's let's build from where you're at. Family has really been my challenge and and passion for the past couple of, of years. Right. And that's because now more than ever, now because of the way the world is in the media and the defunding and the cops not wanting to be in this career anymore and trying to now families are being yanked into these conversations and they can't hide from it and the yeah. first responder can't protect them like before where they would say oh i'll just i'll give them a high level view of what my call was today it's all out there so now we're having to Good educate point. families yeah. we're having to normalize so i that's when i decided you know 
uh, funny, but you know, that's kind of how we started you and I, our conversation yeah, was because exactly. you said, you know, this is what you do. And I was like, Oh, I just started a podcast. <laughs> so you know, I've been very lucky, even though I've been, I'm still You're married amazing. to that same, well, I'm still married <laughs> to that same officer. I've got three adult, you know, kids in their twenties. Um, but I've had two long-term friends that are also police wives. I went to the Academy with one husband and my husband went with the other. Um, and we, we were our core family. And I did not realize that we were each other's support system when we had these crazy holidays or these overtime mm -hmm. things or these arguments, because why do they not understand? And so we were just talking one night, having one of these deep conversations during COVID. And I just said, I'm like, this is the stuff though, that we're talking about that I need to work with other wives. And my yeah. girlfriend's like, we're like a podcast. So yeah, like, that's a great segue. I, so talk about the show. Talk well, about the I'm podcast. just saying the next day I sat with it and then I went, wait a minute, podcast, this could work. And here's why there's, you could control the information that comes out, yeah, Exactly. you could control the resources and it, it's a positive support system for families. You don't have to worry about, you know, cattiness or did somebody disclose an, an incident or that somebody passed away with before they get with the family, All these things that you have to worry about in other platforms. Um, this was it. Now I did one little secret thing though. And that is having been in peer support for so long. I know the one reason family never gets brought around or included is because you're going to embarrass me or you're going to say something to get me in trouble right? or my agency. So we took that away. We make confidential. All our guests, unless it's a special episode, are confidential. So they never say their agency. They never say where they're from. So the idea is, though, that they can kind of talk about the real, what's really happening behind the scenes and sharing so other people are not alone. But now I'm finding... The funny thing is even departments can do this, right? They can they can use their peer team or, you know, when they put out all these little TikToks and all these little media things, why not put education information out for families that is controlled by the department that has to do with sleep and shift work and yeah, communication, absolutely. all this. It's so, but it's something so simple. And I'm finding the same themes have not changed over well, 25 it's just, it, it's years. Well, it's just, you know, it's a culture thing within organizations. It's, it's you know, you know, it's just a culture that you have to try to pierce and say, look, instead of doing it the old way, we've always done it, which is probably not working. Right. Why don't we try something new? And you, to, to your point about the younger generation, a lot of times they're pushing this. The younger cops, yes. you know, don't live to work. They work to live. Well, most of them. Yeah. They're, they're not Absolutely. signing up for copious amounts of overtime. Maybe sometimes no. they are, but you know, they're working to live. You know, so I really think that the new generation are going to really push this more and more. Oh, yeah. Well, that's the funny part is when I go into some of these agencies where they have a new coordinator, right, that's been maybe on 12 years, right, and are doing this. I learned from them because I come with the core, like peer support hasn't changed in theory. But what's changed is, you know, the level of, of peering that you do and the knowledge that you need to have, the knowledge base of a peer team member has grown. But they come in and go, oh, see that document right there? We could do that in an app. See yeah. how you guys are still shuffling around? Absolutely. And so when you bring those two together and you bring it, now you're incorporating the new generation. You know, you get them through the tech side, but you have the older folks that have the experience. And now you're merging that. That's and that's another mush. reason why your yep. teams, yes. And it's been beautiful. And honestly, for me, you know, I, I, I named it Ride Along Chronicles we did because we have, our whole goal is to um, show the new generation what we've learned and hopefully give some advice and some reason. So they are take don't fall into those same traps. They don't have yeah. those same issues. Yeah, learn, we, we, that's the whole purpose. We, you know, yes. so the upper the younger generation can learn from our mistakes. Yes. And absolutely. everything. Absolutely. And in the departments, when I go in, I don't start with, you know, we talk about that fine thing. You know, even when I go in and, and talk to them about what is peer support, and you know, I say I start with the hard stuff. You walk in and say, there's been X suicides in this state. Some of it, in, maybe in your agency, what do you do if it happens to your agency? Yeah. And they're like, I'm like, no, no, no. I don't mean the aftermath. I mean, when you find out that an officer is having ideations, right? Or maybe they were not, they were hospitalized yeah, what are you do? for some, right. And you see the eyes go. And I, that's how I start. And I'm like, so let's, let's work backwards. And the same thing with, um, you know, when it says, do you want, you've paid a lot of money for this employee. You've invested a lot of time something as simple as 30 day treatment, right? Or um, some additional resources, giving them some time to, to, to find their way yeah. is gonna keep your 20 plus career that you invested versus throwing them out. 
because betrayal trauma is how you can lose your officer. Most officers will come back after a critical incident. Most of them work because they love this job, even, even if it's just a job and not a career for some. But the minute the agency does not treat yeah. them well, respectful, I mean, hey, you did something wrong because of your condition, we'll let you get treatment, but you still have to be accountable for your actions, Absolutely. cool. But it's, how did you treat me though when you said this, is what makes an employee want to come back and not only be better, but be better in, in the work and then promote it yes. and get others help. I mean, that's some of your biggest advocates. So, I mean, I could talk all day. It's definitely my passion, <laughs> but I will, I do. But I will say <laughs> the best thing any agency can do is really put the right people in place Absolutely. and take a, take a beat and really have them go out and explore what some other agencies are doing in order to build. Cause you only get one chance at promoting it. Right. And yeah, if you get it exactly. wrong, it's, you're not going to have people. Just, come. Yeah. yeah. There's no credibility. Right. So building those relationships. So yeah. I've seen it from start to finish. And like you did, and I've seen guys that honestly almost shouldn't have been here because yeah. of the, how many times, and now they are rocking it and they're yeah. traveling the world. At least the ones that I know, um, sharing their story like you are and making such huge impacts because storytelling is how yeah. we don't have to wait for it to happen. Let's storytell it to get the program in place instead of waiting for something yep. to actually happen like here with Craig Tiger before we built it. So I will, I'm seeing growth here in Arizona and, and, I, and, and even nationwide. Um, I'm just hoping that each state kind of starts realizing still, that they need a standard practice and a standard still, kind of um, still got a lot of work to do. My we friend. do, we do. And it's but never, it's it's never ending. Now, as we wrap up, if people want to reach out to you, Vicki Hickson, who's an amazing human being and a good friend oh, of mine. So nice. Thank uh, you. How can they reach out to you? So I would say the best email right now would probably be through my podcast, just because okay. that comes directly to me through right along Chronicles info at, um, or they can email me at, my work email, Vicky at criticalincidentconsulting.com. Any so social we can, we, and everything's going to be linked up in the no note, uh, show notes for, for the listener. Any, any social we can plug in there. So probably um, www.ridealongchronicles.com. All righty. And from there you find out. And Vic I'm more than happy to help. It's definitely been my passion. Vicki Hickson, you're amazing. And I am blessed to call you a friend. And uh, somebody I go to, if uh, I have any questions, I mean, you're the expert. I'm not. <laughs> I, go, I go to Vicky. Oh, it's not hard to be an expert. All it takes is a few people. And then exactly. you realize you can do a lot with one person. could do a lot, honestly. Absolutely. And well, I will see you, you soon, my me. friend. We're working on some stuff. I know and we we're, are. We're, we're rocking on it. And I will see you soon. Vicki Hickson, God bless you, ma'am. And Thank uh, you. You, as always, if you need anything, just reach out. Will do. Same here. Bye-bye. Such a great show. Very informative for my good friend, Vicki Hickson. If you love the audio of this show, check out my YouTube channel at CJ Evolution Podcast, our own channel where you two can check out on YouTube. Head over there now. As always, be safe, take care, and I'll talk to you next time.